Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to take just a broad step through Matthew 13 today. We've come into Matthew's recordings of the parables. The parables. So my aim today is what I'd like to just say to you guys from the onset, is that my aim is to see God stir us. This is very simple. To see God stir us in our faith both for the reality of the presence of the kingdom, but for the work of the kingdom as well. To just This is a matter of faith, you guys, today. And we'll look at why I believe this is such. But to have us stirred in the sense of that stirring creates action. Not just stirring emotionally and excitement for the things of God, but to stir us to action, to compel us into gospel proclamation, to compel us into authentic vibrant kingdom living and compel us into the work of the kingdom itself. So we've, we've spoken at great lengths thus far in regards to the character of the kingdom, um, its distinctiveness, but for today, what I would like to say is I believe that he's doing something now. I believe that God is doing something in Capital City Church now that's different than what he has been doing in the past, or at the very least, what he's highlighting for us is different now than what it has been in the past. And it's regarding this ignition of our faith and the inciting, in a good way, I would say, inciting our faith into action. And it requires for us to have ears to hear and a heart that is quick to respond. And I would just say that it begins where we were last week in chapters 11 and 12. And what I want to do as we move into 13 today is I actually want to just take some short steps through 11 and 12 of what Rick said because I believe that so, that so um, profoundly the, the three chapters are connected one to another at the very least. What Rick spoke on last week and what I want to speak on today are so interconnected with one another. And so it begins in seeing this increase in the kingdom and desiring it and, and seeing the kingdom and its worth and its supremacy within our hearts and within our minds. To see, as we sang of this morning, to see Jesus as he is and not just to see him, but then to be compelled by him, to be compelled into such a life for the kingdom of God. And I would say this too, last week we spoke of the fact that the, seeing the kingdom is a matter of revelation. And so if seeing the kingdom is a matter of re revelation, is it not then also logical to say that to act then in regards to kingdom living and kingdom activity is also a matter of revelation of faith? To see the kingdom is a matter of revelation. So, and it's a matter of faith in our life. So is it not then reasonable and logical to say that to act and to live in a way that is congruent with the ways of the kingdom is also a matter of faith. And so what that necessitates is an ongoing stirring, an ongoing filling, an ongoing stimulation and growth of our faith by God himself, through his Holy Spirit, and through the myriads of ways in which he works in our life, through prayer, through the reading of the word, through one another sharpening each other, the Lord builds and increases our faith. And as I said, he incites it into action. And so this is a matter of faith today, and I believe just generally and simply speaking that this is what 
God is doing. And I would say, too, that faith, it catapults us into the atypical Christian life. It catapults us outside of what, unfortunately, has become this somewhat normative of a self-centered Christianity, a self-serving Christianity, a faith that that exists for self-betterment. For the most part, we see this a lot through the church, especially the Western church, the evangelical church. So, to, But faith, I say, brings us past that, beyond that, and through that quagmire of self-centeredness. And it brings us into what now would be considered probably more of an atypical Christian life, a life that's compelled into action, which, ironically, is the typical Christian life that we see with the New Testament Scripture. When we read Scripture, how easily it is to disconnect ourselves at times from what God has done to what God is doing. But I say to you guys today, God is doing something new. (coughs) Something new. And as I said a moment ago, this trajectory, it really begins um, last week on the basis of what was being said in 11 and 12. And it was very simply this. As you guys most obviously probably remember, that Jesus is doing something greater, or the statement was that something greater has come, is what Rick said last week. Something greater has come. That was the message that Jesus spoke, and he gave us three examples last week, and the three examples out of Matthew 11 and 12 were this, where specifically they came from 12, that something greater than the temple has come, something, someone greater than Jonah has come, and something greater than, what was the third? Solomon, thank you, has come. And so we've got these three examples. The temple, Jonah, and Solomon. The temple, of course, being the dwelling place. And Rick spoke at this at length, and I'm not going to, but just to use this as a a way to, to move us forward this morning. The temple being the dwelling place, the glory of the Lord. Something greater than the temple, now through Jesus, had been established. And of Jonah, the prophet, the word of God, a greater, more truer, a better word has been spoken through the person of Jesus. And Solomon, arrayed in his wisdom and in his glory, something greater than Solomon has come. This is what Jesus was saying through Matthew 11 and 12. And it was said last week that this something greater is the doorway into the beginning of what God is doing now. It's the beginning of the life that we often speak of, of the new creation life, and we use it in terms of living on this side of the cross. This something greater was the doorway. It was the entrance into this life, living on this side of the cross. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Is that clear? I don't want to just speak in, in, you know, using these Christian knees, these Christian terms, but I want to hopefully speak with clarity in, in a way that stirs you guys. But it requires a revelation to see it. It requires a revelation. So something greater has come. And now in chapter 13, Jesus is going to begin to speak on the nature of this something greater, revealing to his hearers as well as us the inherent and the essential qualities of his kingdom. And he does this and he uses the form of parables to convey this. And we're going to look at just a moment 
He's going to show seven different parables. And these seven parables, when you look at them together, you can combine them really into uh, 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 coupling some of them together to reveal three distinct natures that I want to look at this morning of the kingdom. The first is the mystery. The second being the effect or the potency of the kingdom. And the third being the value of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 13 through the parables. The mystery of the kingdom of God, the potency of his kingdom and the value of his kingdom. So let's look at Matthew 13. I want to begin, we're going to read portions. I'm not going to read through the entire thing for the sake of time. But let's begin in chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then skip with me to verse 18. So sorry, to verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do, then do you want us to go and to gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and the harvest time, I will tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he gives us two here, the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat, or the weeds and the, the, the wheat and the tares, or in Matthew here, he calls it the parable of the weeds. And these two parables combined, they speak of the mystery of the kingdom. And we'll look at that more in a moment. And now look at verse 31. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and, is, and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told him another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so these two, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, they speak of the potency and the effect of the kingdom of God that it has. And now look with me, please, at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, he goes on to say, is like treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from righteousness and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse 51, he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of house, excuse me, is like a master of house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Father, today we bring ourselves before you in light of your scriptural truth. Lord, we ask that by your spirit today that you would speak to us. And as, as I've spoken of this faith that we're desiring to be stirred within, I pray that you would do so today. Lord, we, we, again, we just confess that it is not for our own sake, but for the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we ask you to do such things. We pray, Lord, that you would build us into the church, build us into the family, build us into the body, into the army, Lord God, that you have called us to be. And we pray today, Father, that you would compel us into the work of your kingdom for the sake of your glorious name. Amen. So these parables, I've chosen this morning just to read the parables um, and, and, and not read everything in between. And the reason is such as, as I said a moment ago, I want to not look at them as you could easily do. You could take a parable one in of itself, and you could easily probably just study that one. But I want to take more of the, of the 30,000 foot view, the overarching view through Matthew 13, again, just to see how these parables relate one unto another and what Jesus is saying both to, his, to the hearers, his disciples, and also to us as well. And again, just by way of reminder, what I believe that Jesus is saying through these things today is, he's, he, is he is describing the uh, various elements of the nature of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom the effect, or as I said, the potency of the kingdom and the kingdom's value. And of course, we know what we're talking about now when we speak of the kingdom, right? We don't need to redefine the kingdom. Hopefully, you are holding on to that and you're recalling. Just as a quick aside, in the beginning of chapter 3, 13, excuse me, in the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus' disciples approach him and they ask him this, why do you speak in parables? Here we have somewhat this, this thought that so far we've, we've discovered, we've looked at, we've spoken of the fact that the kingdom of God is a blanket invitation in the sense of that it's meant for as many as would come in. So therefore, if, if Jesus' desire is to see as many enter into the kingdom of God, why then does he make it so difficult by using stories such as parables? It seems counterintuitive, does it not? He says to them, his response to this question in verse 11 is this. To you it has been given to know the mysteries. This, he's speaking to his disciples here. He says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And you're scratching your head and you're going, well, why not? It is not your desire that all would come in. 
See, this is, here's the problem, and this is where I believe that our modern context at times gets in our way. Jesus wasn't using a parable as a sermon illustration. If you've spent any time teaching or if you speak publicly, oftentimes you'll talk about how using an illustration will drive the point home. And sometimes, you know, I'll throw like Braveheart up on the screen or, you know, whatever other goofy illustration that help make the point. But the point is, is that Jesus isn't using a parable as a sermon illustration. He's not telling a story to clarify a point. Instead, a parable was a story with a specific point, but that point wasn't carried under, on the surface of the story. It was designed in such a way that it challenged the hearer to engage with what was being said and to dig and to mine the truth of what was being said. So it was intended for the hearer to engage with. Therefore, Jesus' parables, as we see, as we go through the Gospels, they have one of two effects. The hearer will either take hold of the truth of what Jesus is saying, of his kingdom, or they will simply hear it for what it is, which is a story, and they walk away. It's one of two things. They'll either break through the barriers into understanding or they will remain impenetrable and the message is lost on them. In third century Christianity, there is, uh, you've all heard of Origin of Alexandria. He says this, just as it pertains to how some hear and how some do not. The sun by one and of the same power of its heat melts wax indeed, but dries up and hardens mud. Not that its power operates one way upon mud and another way upon wax, but that the qualities of mud and wax are different, although according to nature they are one thing, both being from the earth. And so from this, from this saying has come the expression, the same sun, the same sun that softens wax hardens clay. And this is what we see here in the parables. This seemingly uh, almost kind of duplicitous effect, if you will, where some hear and some do not. The same gospel message that humbles the honest heart and leads them to repentance may also harden the heart of the disobedient listener, keeping them from seeing, but also keeping them from heaping upon themselves condemnation for the rejection of God's word. That's what the gospel does through a parable. Therefore, rather than the, the, the heart of the hearer being hardened towards the kingdom and thus pushing them away further, the result of it is them walking away, not having understood. It also, the parabolic method is also consistent with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, don't give to dogs what is holy. Do not cast your pearls before swines. It's a means by which this truth is extended now through gospel proclamation. And I think in this, and this is where really the first point of the mystery of the kingdom begins, in this we have to ourselves reject this tendency to want to question why some hear and why some do not. In Jesus' use of parables, we have to resist the tendency to want to even question why he uses parables at all in the sense of questioning God and his means and his methods. It's the same tendency that we have to reject in our hearts in terms of salvation. Why some believe and why some do not. This is the mystery of the nature of the kingdom of God, that some would hear and that some would not. 
the mystery as it pertains to the gospel proclaimed, that some will believe and some will not. That some seed takes root, as in the parable of the sower, and other seed does not. That parable, it's not about the sower. It's not about the seed in a sense. It's about the soil upon which it is sowed. It's a mystery that some seed takes root. It's a mystery that some seed is scorched and choked and eaten. It's a mystery that some bears fruit. It's a mystery. We don't understand why, but it's not for us to understand. Yet, and this is where we engage in our faith, and this is what I was saying earlier why I believe the Lord wants to incite our faith this morning. Yet, what do we know? That the sower went out to sow. And we've spoken of this before, this indiscriminate type of sowing of seed that we're called to do in faith, regardless of the expected outcome. Regardless of what we believe God wants to do through us, specifically, we don't know what the specific effect of our sowing will have. But yet, we know, as we'll look at in a moment, that it does have an effect. And so our faith engaged is to sow. The mystery of the kingdom is we don't know who will be drawn, as in the parable of the net. When the, when the net is cast and the fish are drawn, both the good and the bad come in, and it's the Lord's to weed out who that is, is in the wheat and the tares. That's the work of the Lord's. That's not the work of us. And yet the kingdom of God still is ours to expand and to further as the gospel is preached and as the kingdom of God takes root in people's hearts, yet the kingdom still goes forward. And we look back and we see with thankfulness how the seed bears fruit. But we must not question why in those moments, why some do and some do not. Deuteronomy 20, 29, we know this text well as it pertains to this, that the secret things belong to the Lord, it says, our God. But things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his laws. Deuteronomy 20, 29. There are things that we might not ever know in this Christian life, or perhaps even after this life, that are the ways of God. There's a mystery to what God does. There's an unknowing to what God does that we might not ever know. But, as Scripture says, but there are things that have been revealed to us. And as Jesus says to his disciples, you have been given the ability to see things of the kingdom. What are those things? What is that? The mystery is what Paul would speak of in Colossians. It's the mystery of Christ Jesus having been revealed. That is what we do know. That is what we speak of. That is what we profess and what we proclaim, that the mystery of God in Christ Jesus has been revealed for us, to us and through us as well. God's plan of salvation, God's redemption for humanity. We speak of what we know, we speak with faith, and in doing so, we are not called to determine nor even fully understand what effects our sowing will have. We're just called to sow. We're not called to separate the tares from the wheat, for that's the work 
of the Lord's alone. Yet again, I say to you that the sower went out to sow. No distinction, no discrimination, no predetermination of what would be the most beneficial, what would be the most effective for the effort spent. Just sow. Sow in faith. That is the response for us as a Christian today. Sow in faith today. Number two, the power of the kingdom. So then Jesus gives two more parables as we read. Parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven. These two, they speak of the power, or as I've already said, the potency of the kingdom of God that it has on that which it comes into contact with. It's almost as though Jesus is providing us and his hearers and the disciples with a glimmer of hope. Having just said to them, listen, there's things that you won't know about. Deal with it. Settle that issue. But let me tell you this, that you will see the effects of the kingdom in a mighty way. It's our glimmer of hope. It's, to, it's our, and our resting in assurance of like, okay, God, we trust you in this. We have faith knowing that your kingdom is at work because your scripture, you are, you are telling us so by the word of your mouth. And not only will the effects be noticeable, but they will be extensive. Both the mustard seed and the leaven are small. We know this. Both being barely perceptible in the beginning, yet both resulting in a spectacular transformation that's impossible to ignore and to miss. That's what they both result in. Yet they're also both different from one another. See, from one, in the parable of the mustard seed, the growth comes in and of itself. It comes from itself. But yet, in the parable of the leaven, what is it? It's, it's, the, it's the mixing, it's the insertion of the leaven into the dough that causes the great result. And so there's two different things here that Jesus is saying to us. For the woman to hide is what it says, that she hid the leaven into the dough, is for her to mingle the two. It's to mingle, it's, it's for us as believers, the, the co-mingling of the kingdom of God with the kingdom of this present age. It's the insertion, it's what we engage in as believers in our everyday life. That's what it is to see the kingdom of God hid like leaven. It's for us to act out of obedience. It's for us to live rightly. It's, it's all of the ABCs of the Christian faith. And God's promise to us, Jesus' words to us, is that as we are obedient to live in such a way, as we mingle the kingdom of God with the kingdom of this present age, that the effect, the potency of God's kingdom is great and it permeates and it has great effect. See, parables are simple. I hope I'm not disappointing you by not just you know, blowing your mind with some profound revelation, but the reality is, is that parables are simple, but they require faith. It's a matter of faith. And so we're called as Christians to hide the kingdom of God into the kingdom, to mingle them, to inject one into another. We know this, that we permeate with our lives and our children's lives, our kingdom values, our kingdom ethics, our kingdom ways and living, and in so doing, the kingdom is injected like leaven. See, let me just say this too. When you feel like your efforts seem small, or you're wondering when you're going to see 
the effects of all of your energy and your efforts. It takes faith. Be of good courage because, as he says, what seems small has great effect. What seems insignificant has great effect. There's no word that's too small and there's no action, no kind action that's too small because the kingdom is injected and it's mingled and the truth of who God is and his ways and his nature and his character and it's revealed through small things. I think that's the point for us to take away is not to despise it, but to embrace it and to believe in it and understand that it's God's will to use us in small ways to show that he is great. Although God's kingdom may seem initially insignificant, it's pervasive and it's potent and it requires that we engage in it with faith. And the third is the value of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom revealed through Jesus' parables the effect of the kingdom revealed through Jesus' parables and the value of the kingdom. The parable of the treasures and of the pearl is very, very simple. They speak of the obvious value of the kingdom, but not only to the precious worth, but also to the single-mindedness that kingdom living requires. We all know that the kingdom is valuable. I could ask every single person here probably this morning and say, do you value the things of the kingdom? Do you desire them? Do you see their worth? And we would probably all say yes. Well, then I say to you that that value translates into a single-mindedness, a single-focusedness of intent, of heart, of resource to see it permeate. Once again, this is also a response of faith on part of the hearer. On, on our part today, faith as to the cost that the kingdom requires. See, in both accounts, we're told one very simple thing. That the individual either gave or sold all that he had. This is what we see. The individual, he either gave or he sold all that he had in order to lay hold of the great worth that was the kingdom. See, the emphasis wasn't on what it cost. Don't miss the point of this parable. It isn't on what it costs, but it's rather on the intrinsic value of the kingdom itself. So often we get concerned with what God wants to take, when really what it's about is what God wants to give. See, the kingdom of God is about life. It's about fruitfulness. It's about joy. It's about peace. It's all the things that God wants to give to us through Jesus Christ. And are we so concerned with what it's going to cost us that we miss all the while what really what God wants to do? What does it say? It was the joy that was his in the case of the merchant. It wasn't about the sacrifice. He dealt with the sacrifice. It was his joy to give or to sell all that he had in order to have and to obtain the kingdom. And what happens too when it becomes our focus of what, what is being taken or, or the cost? It's like we, we walk around like these suffering servants of like, oh man, I'm just, I'm suffering for God right now. And it's not to minimize trial because trial happens and we know that. 
And persecution happens. We've talked about that. But it's just to say that the, the perspective of what it cost leads to a particular type of living, of the suffering for Jesus type of living, where the other, the value, when it's value-based, when it's about what God has done, it's a completely different perspective. As I said, it suddenly becomes, it's the joy of following Christ. It's the joy of serving in the kingdom purposes. It's the peace that comes. It's the victory, as we sang of this morning. It's all the things that we know are ours as inheritors of God. It's as I said from Hebrews this morning, that as those who have been enlightened, it's the goodness of God. The goodness by the power of his word. The goodness by the power of the age to come that is ours today. It's the value and this is a, this is a completely countercultural paradigmatic shift i would say it's completely countercultural we're so consumed with what things cost or what we might lose or what we might miss that we lose sight of what we truly gain and what does paul say paul's words they ring so true in this moment whatever gain i had i count as loss Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. That was Paul's joy. That was Paul's joy. For the man with the field, the sacrifice of all that is sold is not his hardship because it was his joy. And it was not his obligation. Once the kingdom of God is truly seen and understood, there is nothing else that can compare worth with it. For the merchant, it was a matter of priorities. It's safe, see, I would say it's safe to presume that in selling of all he had, that would also include the pearls of lesser value. He was a pearl merchant. It says that he sold everything. So he even sold the things that he had sought before that were of value in order to have the one thing of great value. The kingdom of God is not only of greater value, but it is of soul value. It's worth the giving up of competing assets. It's worth us giving up our lesser pearls. The ideologies, the philosophies, whatever it is, the things that compete for the value of the kingdom, it's worth giving those things up because of its soul worth. What are the lesser pearls that you have today? Probably really easy to identify. You probably know what they are. Let's give them up. Why? Not so that we can be, you know, spiritual martyrs of the natural things. It's so that we can truly have what God wants to give. And when we don't make room for it, when, our, when we're consumed with these other lesser pearls, it's like we miss what God wants to give. We miss the joy that it is to live in Christ Jesus. And so these things require faith from us today. So my question to you is today, where do you identify? Where are you caught up in these three elements that Jesus is conveying this morning? The mystery. Are you, are you stuck at the mystery? Are you stuck at the questioning of the why and the how and the what and the why don't I ever see, etc., etc.? Come to God in faith today for that. Come to God in a place of faith and remind yourself that it isn't about the effect, but it's about the action. 
the sower went out to sow. Are you stuck at the mystery? Are you stuck at the insignificance, perhaps, that it seems like your small conversations are having, that the, the effect of the kingdom of God? Are you stuck at just what you feel is like the mundane of your life over and over and day in and day out again? That it's like, what am I really, what effect am I really having? Well, in faith today, Jesus wants to say to you, the kingdom of God spreads like leaven. The kingdom of God grows like a mustard seed. Don't despise the small things that I'm doing. Don't despise the fact that it might not look the way that you think it ought to look. But in faith, take a hold of the day in and the day out. In faith, take a hold of just going to work and grinding it out and coming home and training your children and loving your spouse and feeding yourself with things that are good and things that are right. Take hold of those things in faith because as we live and as we're intentional and as we are intentional to inject the kingdom values and ethics and lifestyle into the present age that we interact with, the kingdom is spread. Kingdom takes root. And, it's, and I was talking to somebody this morning. It's hindsight often that we see these things. For whatever reason, it's, and I think part of it is because of humility. It's how the Lord keeps us humble. That we don't often see the positive effects in the now. Lest we become puffed up and filled with pride. And it's like, man, look how great I'm doing. I mean, even right now as I'm standing here before you, it's like, how is this going, Lord? This is up to you. I don't know what root this will have in your guy's life, but I trust that it'll be great because we speak what is true, and this is the thing. This is no different what I'm doing now in the sense from what you do on a day-to-day basis. We speak what is true, and we rely on the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit to massage it and to penetrate into hearts, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So are you hung up on the potency of the kingdom? Is there a lack of faith there, or are you hung up on the value? Are you hung up on the single-mindedness that it requires? Are you hung up on what it's going to cost rather than what God has given to you through Jesus Christ? Let us be stirred in faith and be so moved and motivated to live with such a way of intentionality to inject what we're doing in faith into our spheres, into our people groups and families and to see the kingdom of God spread. And in so doing, see people come into the kingdom of God. Souls won for the sake of Jesus Christ. I know you want that. You know that I want that. And I think the Lord is stirring us to live in greater faith in those areas of our life. So would you stand with me, please?